You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. U.S. Treasury Department sanctions a cryptocurrency mixer. Rewards for Justice is interested in Conti. U.S. tractor manufacturer Agco was hit by a ransomware attack. Russian hacktivism hits German targets and threatens the U.K. A Russian diplomatic account was apparently hijacked. Tracking Cobalt Strike servers used against Ukraine. Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf defends against DDoS attacks. Rick Howard looks at single sign-on. And no apology for you, Mr. Bennett. The CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, May 9th, 2022. The U.S. Department of the Treasury has sanctioned Blender.io on the grounds that the cryptocurrency mixer was involved in laundering money for the Lazarus Group. North Korea's well-known government criminal organization. Treasury says on March 23, 2022, Lazarus Group, a DPRK state-sponsored cyber hacking group, carried out the largest virtual currency heist to date, worth almost $620 million, from a blockchain project linked to the online game Axie Infinity. Blender was used in processing over $20.5 million of the illicit proceeds. The sanctions are believed to be the first levied against a mixer service. On Friday, the U.S. Department of State added members of the Conti ransomware operation to its Rewards for Justice program. They said, The Department of State is offering a reward of up to $10 million for information leading to the identification and or location of any individuals who hold a key leadership position in the Conti ransomware variant transnational organized crime group, In addition, the department is also offering a reward of up to $5 million for information leading to the arrest and or conviction of any individual in any country conspiring to participate in or attempting to participate in a Conti variant ransomware incident. Reuters reports that Agco, a major manufacturer of farm equipment, has sustained a ransomware attack that's affected production and delivery of tractors and other agricultural equipment. The company said Friday that disruptions might last several days and potentially longer. 
Some customers said they began to have difficulties accessing Agco sites on Thursday. Which strain of ransomware was used and which gang was behind the operation are unknown, but the record offers some informed speculation that it may have been black matter. The record also notes the coincidence, if you believe in such things, that Agco had on Thursday announced plans to donate $50,000 to Borsh, a Ukrainian relief effort devoted to helping that country's farmers. The U.S. FBI had warned back in September that the agriculture and food sector could expect ransomware attacks, and the Bureau updated its warning at the end of April, saying that attacks on agriculture could be expected to coincide with planting and harvest seasons. This attack would seem to bear those warnings out. Der Spiegel has reported that Russian-aligned hacktivists, Putin fans as the paper's headline calls them, have claimed cyber attacks that temporarily disrupted websites belonging to airports, the defense ministry, the Bundestag, federal police, and some state police authorities. The group calls itself Killnet and counted coup over its Telegram channels. Killnet is of relatively recent origin and has specialized in distributed denial-of-service attacks, mostly at a nuisance level. The threat actor has been active against Romanian targets since early in Russia's war against Ukraine, and it's recently threatened to retaliate against British support for Ukraine by shutting down ventilators in UK hospitals. The threat against the UK was prompted by the British arrest in Tottenham of a Romanian resident in Britain on charges connected with the earlier cyber attacks against Romanian targets. Kilnet's communique read, If he's not released within 48 hours, I will destroy your Romania, Great Britain, and Moldova. I will destroy your entire information structure and even your Ministry of Health. All ventilators will be attacked. Only then will you begin to realize the mistake you have made. Kilnet seems unlikely to be able to make good on this particular threat. Still, shields up. The Telegraph reports that Russia's consul general in Edinburgh, Andrei Yakovlev, posted his opposition to Russia's war against Ukraine in his Instagram account. The now-removed post read, I categorically condemn the behavior of the military special operation of the Russian armed forces against the sovereign independent Ukraine. I fully support any assistance to the Ukrainian armed forces from EU countries. The Russian consulate told the Telegraph, Our account was hacked. It has already been deleted. The consulate added in its Twitter account, false information was posted about the position of the leadership of the foreign institution. A number of news outlets cheerfully picked up Mr. Yakovlev's alleged post and retailed it with the consulate's denial well below the fold. Newsweek is one example. In this case, however, the Russian foreign ministry is almost certainly telling the truth that a Russian diplomat would take such a public position in opposition to his own government is pretty far-fetched, that he would do so without immediately thereafter defecting and asking for asylum is beyond belief. Sure, strange events permit themselves the luxury of occurring, as a movie detective used to say in the 1930s, but this event would really just be too strange. IronNet has followed up on CERT-UA's April 18th Alert 4490, which described a Russian trickbot campaign using an urgent message about Maripol's Azovstal steelworks as fishbait. IronNet explains, 
The goal was the installation of a cobalt striken beacon on the victim system through the use of an MS Office macro. The researchers offer an account of how the threat actors used cobalt strike and do so with a view to understanding how this tool is likely to be turned to malicious use in the future. They found that malleable profiles were used by the threat actors, and they observed both a jQuery profile, commonplace, and a minimal defender bypass profile, more novel and only recently observed in the wild, in use. And finally, that apology President Putin was said to have offered Israel last week, the one that regretted Foreign Minister Lavrov's comments on Hitler's supposed Jewish blood, never happened, the Kremlin effectively said, releasing what it insisted was a complete transcript of the call between President Putin and Prime Minister Bennett. There was no apology in that transcript, Newsweek reports. A statement by Israel's foreign ministry after the call had said, The Prime Minister accepted President Putin's apology for Lavrov's remarks and thanked him for clarifying his attitude toward the Jewish people and the memory of the Holocaust. And that, the Kremlin now seems to say, never really happened. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And it's always my pleasure to welcome back to the show the CyberWire's own chief security officer and chief analyst, Rick Howard. Rick, welcome back. Hey, Dave. You know, in our Slack channel, uh, I was reading the summary of this week's CSO Perspectives episode. And I have to say, I am glad that you came on the show today to talk about it because it's been a while now that I've noticed that when I'm bopping around on the internet and trying to log into a site, let's say, I don't know, Twitter, for example. 
Yeah. Um, it gives me a few options. It says I can enter my credentials right onto Twitter, which is what I normally do. But then there are this list of other options to choose from where you can use one of the many big Silicon Valley giant companies like Google or <laughs> Apple or Facebook. I mean, I refer to them as the usual suspects. Um, <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, and you can use them to log in. Now, I never do that because I'm afraid that they're just trying to collect more information. Honestly, I have to say I feel snake bit from back in the early days when oh, yeah. I took Facebook at its word and I uploaded my entire address book because I thought, well, that would be convenient. Sure. And yeah. we all know how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a long way to ask you, is that fear legitimate? Are they collecting my credentials for some ad campaign? Are they tracking me as I go around the web? Like, to what degree do I need to be worried about these folks offering up, uh, you know, making it easy for me to log in. Is, is there a penalty there? Well, I totally understand that feeling. And, you know, I thought that too in the past. I've really been worried about it. So for this week's CSO Perspectives podcast, I looked into it and hmm. come to find out that's not what's going on here. Thank goodness. Hmm. All right. So what you're, <laughs> what you're looking at is one version of a concept called single sign-on. One of the holy grails that the InfoSec community has been chasing since the beginning of the internet days, right? And it looks like we finally got it. So Google is not collecting my Twitter credentials then? No, they're not doing that, okay? But Twitter is taking advantage of the situation that you most likely have already logged into your Google account before you try to access Twitter through a mm. standards protocol called OAuth. You've probably heard this people talking about this, you know, in, in the hallways, you know, getting water and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Twitter asks you to go get an asymmetric key from Google that will vouch for your digital identification at Google. So you ask Google for the key when you click that button on the Twitter logon site. Google sends it through you to Twitter. And since Twitter trusts Google to be the authoritative source for your digital identity, Twitter logs you in. No fuss, no muss, and you don't have to remember your Twitter credentials or any of the other thousands of other website credentials that you probably have. Hmm. So in this week's CSO Perspectives episode, you're going to give us all the details on, on all how this works, all the nitty-gritty, right? Yeah, and that's right. And we're also going to discuss OWASP's big sister called SAML, okay, or Security Assertion Markup Language. And it's the way to do single sign-on in your enterprise. It doesn't work exactly the same way, but it's the same uh, concept. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Um, listen, before I let you go, why don't we check in here on what the word of the week is on your Word Notes podcast? Yeah, this is a good one. It's one of my favorite topics of all time. We're going to talk about the MITRE ATT&CK framework. So if you've been leery about what that thing is, come listen. I think you will enjoy it. You know, Rick, my recollection is one of the first conversations you and I ever had. Uh, I, I think we were sitting together at RSA a few years ago, long before. This is when you were still at Palo Alto, before being a, a member of the CyberWire team was just a gleam in your eye. Uh, <laughs> we talked about the MITRE ATT&CK framework, and you were cheerleading it uh, you know, all those years ago. I know, you know, it's become the de facto standard for open source cyber intelligence on all known adversary campaigns, right? And hmm. if you're looking to improve your defenses, that's the place to get the info. And, uh, and uh, I am uh, happy to be a cheerleader on the sideline to get people to use this. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, the show is CSO Perspectives. It is part of CyberWire Pro. You can find that on our website, thecyberwire.com. While you're there, check out Word Notes as well. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dinah Davis. She is the VP of R&D Operations at Arctic Wolf. Uh, Dinah, always great to welcome you back to the show. You know, you and I recently spoke about uh, some DDoS attacks. Uh, we were chatting about reflection amplification attacks. Uh, I want to continue that conversation and uh, get your take on what organizations should be doing to best defend themselves against DDoS attacks. Yeah, so they, they they pretty much are, they're very overwhelming, right? You get hit by all kinds of packets. How do you come out from under that, right? Um, and so, you know, there's, there's three or four different things you can do depending on, you know, what stage you're at, right? So let's say you haven't put much in place at all. Well, you might want to do something like, and, and you're getting attacked, you might want to do something called black holing or sinkholing, which is, Basically, you just block all the traffic and drive it into like a black hole where it's basically discarded, right? And so that yeah. at mm-hmm. least that stops the attack on your site. The problem with that is it also stops all the good traffic from coming to your site as well. So you're still DDoSed, but you're not you're not handling that flow or maybe getting charged for all the Amazon. Like if you're using Amazon cloud and you're trying to process all that data, you're not getting charged with overages on, on high data rates and stuff like that. Right. So at least that, that stops, you know, that kind of thing from happening. It stops overloading your servers on the inside. Um, And so it can be a good thing to do. You should always have routers and firewalls set up right to limit the data that you allow to your to your website and your organization they can at least filter out the non-essential protocols and stop stuff from invalid IP addresses. Uh, the problem is that firewalls and routers um, can block from specific IP addresses but they can't easily protect from a spoofing um, IP spoofing where the they might be changing the IP address constantly in the code that they're using to attack you. So you can't easily just block like one IP address um, and make right. it and make it end. <laughs> right. So they're <laughs> yeah, good to have in place, stop. but they don't always help you out of the situation if um if if they're using IP address spoofing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else? You can set up your servers to be configured so that they only talk with specific applications. So if if your servers are trying to t- are getting, so let's say you're getting some random DDoS, like where you're just getting all kinds of traffic. Well, if your servers only talk to specific types of packets because they only talk to specific types of applications, they're just going to ignore the cruft. So that's mm. that's another good thing. And even 
like that's also a really good thing just from a security perspective, right? Like if you know your server should only be talking to specific applications with specific packet types, don't let them talk to anything else. That's just asking for trouble, right? <laughs> there are some DDoS mitigation appliances that you you can get um, that, you know, they're dedicated to sanitizing traffic and building DDoS, you know, mitigation functionality. Oftentimes, some of your legitimate traffic can get dropped with, with these as well. So there's, there's, you know, I don't think there's one like, you know, wipe the magic wand. Um, mm-hmm. But one last thing you can do is you can over-provision. So one of the things, like the best thing would be, can your service just handle that traffic, right? right. If, you, if you are able to scale your service up in a way that it just handles it, the good stuff will still come through and you just handle the load, right? And one of the problems with that is if if you're, especially if you're building your own infrastructure, um, you, that's a high capital, right? To, right. Yeah. And as you mentioned at the outset, the the cost, if, if even if you're using cloud services, your your costs that, that are, you know, being provisioned on the fly, you could get a big bill at the end of the month. Right, exactly. So there are some services that you can work with that will... Um, that you can, you know, get a better deal for when this might happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, it lets you buy on demand, but not premium on demand. Um, and, you know, you can make them more cost effective um, and you can expense, you know, instead of buying all that stuff from in the beginning. Right. So it depends what yeah. it also like, in my opinion, like which route you take here depends on what your website does. Right. If you're a critical infrastructure, like, for example, maybe you're the um, 911 dispatch, well, then you want to make sure that the good traffic can still come in. And so you might right. go with the over-provisioning and pay those costs if that happens. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you're a site that if you went down for a day, your customers are still going to be fine. Like, you're maybe you're a store and you're selling stuff, you're going to lose some revenue, but... Um, you wouldn't sell as much as it's going to cost you to keep <laughs> keep that data running through. Then the right. answer might be to 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 black hole it. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting, I guess, sort of risk analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Is is my perception correct that you know we that the tools are out there that that um, as as you mentioned here, there are a number of options that people have. So if you have the means, DDoS doesn't necessarily have to be the crippling thing that it once was. Correct. That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, Diana Davis, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security, huh? I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.